Welcome to the St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows podcast channel. The sermon you are about to hear is from our worship service on March 27th, 2022. For more information about the community and ministries of St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows, you can visit our website, smlutheran.org. There, you'll find the full online worship service from which this sermon is taken. And if you would like to give gifts to support the ministries of St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows, you'll find information on how to do that there as well. And now, here's pastoral intern Emily Benja with the Gospel reading. The Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the, of the property that will belong to me. So the father divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have fed him, filled himself up with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went out to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now, his eldest son was in the field. When he came and approached the house, he had music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. The slave replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf and because he has got him, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then the elder brother became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. The parable of the prodigal son. This is perhaps one of the most commonly known parables told by Jesus. Right up there with the parable of the Good Samaritan and the parable of the sower of the seeds. Because of this, I approached this text with my own preconceived notions and judgments. Maybe a tiny, tiny little bit of judgment. So before I entered into this text, I took Caroline Lewis's advice, a preacher from Working Preacher, who challenged us this week to try and retitle this parable. And that definitely had me rethinking and reshaping the way I read and, list and understand this text. There is no doubt that Jesus was an amazing storyteller, but he often left a lot unsaid. Unlike a full movie, Jesus only gave us a preview. We know that the son leaves home, but we don't really know why. We know that the father probably has a, a strained relationship with his sons, but again, we don't really know why. This parable is about a loving father who has worked so hard, probably most of his life, to give his sons the best of everything. And his two sons, who probably are now in charge of managing everything their father worked for. A young son, who I personally think has always been a troublemaker even before we came to this story. And an older son, who is probably the more responsible child, the one who follows each rule to the T. From this glimpse of this story, the boys don't seem to have a really good relationship with each other but they also don't seem to have a particularly great one with their father. And perhaps this is why the young son chooses to leave his family and live off in a far off country. But these are details that Jesus doesn't really give us. So we don't know, we're left to assume what is happening and going on in these lives and what leads us to this moment that we enter into their story. What we know for sure is that the young son asks for his share of inheritance. He asks for it even when in his culture, it is disrespectful to ask for inheritance before your father passes away. A theologian, Reverend Nivan Saras, pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran in, in Wisconsin, who is a Palestinian by bath, anchors her reflections on this text in the shame and honor culture one that Jesus and his listeners would have been very familiar with. She writes this, in Jesus's shame owner culture and mine, asking a parent for early inheritance is rude. Wright explains that asking for his share of the father's inheritance before death is an equivalent of saying, I wish you were dead. Children who make such a request 
lose their owner and their community ostracizes them. So when the young son asks for his inheritance, he has chosen to cut all ties from not only his family, but his entire community. His older brother's reaction in verse 25 ceases to be only about anger and jealousy, but also about a brother who betrays his family and dishonors them. And yet, regardless of all of this, his father receives him with so much joy. Even before the son utters out a single word of his repentance, his father receives him with open arms and sets this huge banquet for him. Notice that in this story, before we get to the son realizing his mistakes, Jesus does not give us any details. We don't know nothing about what happens before until it comes to the point where the son gets to a point of repentance. Here, we see for the first time the reason why the son decides to go back home. We see for the first time he acknowledges the magnitude and consequences of his estrangement from his family. And unlike when he left, we actually see a reaction from his father. Not only are we told that the father is overjoyed, but we can also sense that the father has probably been waiting for his son because the son doesn't even make it to the house and all we see is the father running towards him. So the father has probably been sitting by a window waiting for his son to come home. Also, for the first time, we hear about the big brother. We hear, about, we hear the older brother's voice for the very first time. I personally wish the story ends at 25, but Jesus is the storyteller of this one. So it doesn't end at the beautiful banquet where everyone is overjoyed and the son and father are reunited. Jesus takes the story a bit farther because you see, the son did not only sin against his father, but also his brother, his entire community. He cut ties with everyone that knew him, his brother, mother, probably sisters, and every other person he was in relationship with. And if this is going to be a complete repentance, then there's going to have to be reconciliation. The son is not only going to be reconciled to the father, but to the brother and to his entire community. It is here in verse 25 through 32 that I see Jesus drawing our attention to true repentance. Because true repentance reconciles. It draws us back into community. It works to heal and mend. Even the ties that we may have broken at one point to a point where they were almost seem unmendable. If there was one broken tie in this story, it would be the one between the sons. I mean, the older brother is so angry at his young brother that he doesn't even address him as brother. In verse 30, he addresses him as this son of yours. Not only did his young brother dishonor his entire family, he was also careless enough to squander all of the money that was given to him. 
And now that he has come home, not even a single soul remembered to go out to the field and call his brother and let him know. And no one was also holding his young brother accountable for what he did. How dare he come back after all the hard work that I've put in? No one recognizes my presence, but on top of that, no one is holding him accountable for anything. Instead, we're throwing him a banquet? Shh, I would be mad too. But again, the gospel story doesn't end here. It continues. The father, who had been so clouded with joy of the return of his son, completely forgot about his older son. Now, he's going to have to fess up to the anger of his older son. The father, perhaps realizing his son's justified anger, goes out to plead with him. I have changed what I wish this conversation sounded like. So in my own mind, this is how this story probably went down. Son, I know you are angry and I understand, but your, your brother, he was lost to us and he has come home. Maybe he is repenting his ways. Won't you come and just celebrate with us? This moment in this story is one that I hold so dearly. I don't have an image of fathers who are so meek and kind, fathers who put down their pride aside and reach out to their sons and children to say, to be calm when children go crazy, when children squander all their money. I would have been probably a parent who was angry. I also would have been a parent who was angry at the older brother for not seeing that we are celebrating a good thing. This family is of course not perfect, just like many of our own. But each member of this family holds a trait that I personally look, for, look up to. There is a father who is not afraid to reaching the lower parts of his patriarchal position. He runs to his son who betrayed him and reaches out to his other son, even when he seems like he's throwing a tantrum over nothing. There is a son who leaves his pride aside and risks going back into community after he separated himself from them. And another son who is really loyal to his family and his community. He's extremely dedicated that even when there's a party, he's the son of the owner, he still goes out in the fields. They, like many of our families, are not perfect, but they are an example of what it means to be in community. As I mentioned at the beginning, my challenge was to retitle this parable. And I found out this week something that I probably already had an inkling to. I am terrible at being creative, especially when prompted to be. So I ended up settling on the title, The Parable of the Father and His Sons. <laughs> I know it is not so creative, but for me, this title holds the complexity of relationship in family and in community. 
I'm glad that the story doesn't end at the father having this warm discussion with his son, or at the child's anger, or at the celebration when the son comes back. I am glad that it ends with an invitation. As we probably can tell, Jesus is leaving us with a choice of how do we move forward. He doesn't give us how the story ends. He doesn't conclude for us what the son's reply is. He ends up inviting us into this story as the younger son, as the brother, as the father, and the community. What do we do going forward? Can we be like the father and extend boundless grace and forgiveness to the son? Is, there even, is that even the right thing to do? Should we hold this young son accountable for all of his mistakes? As the young son, can we settle in the grace of repentance and celebrate that God receives us and to receive the forgiveness that has been freely given to us without feeling unworthy? Do we join into this invitation and join in the celebration or do we just stay angry at this situation? Sadly, I do not have the answers for these questions. But Christ provides for us this much, that repentance is reconciling for all people. Every person's story matters. Every person in this story matters. And every relationship is very, very important to God. The question is, are we willing to put our pride, our status, and our anger aside? Can we join in this messy celebration of those who have been dead to our community and to us and have been found again? Can we leave all of our anger aside and all of the, the feelings of betrayal and celebrate the life that God has provided for us together in this community joined in one body as God's own beloved children. That is a challenge that we're probably going to work through every single day of our lives of, of, in this life of faith. And I thank God that the story ends at an invitation. Thanks be to God.